Welcome to the AT Parenting Survival Podcast, where you get help and guidance through the chaos of parenting a child with anxiety or OCD. This show is for educational purposes and is not intended to replace the guidance of a qualified professional. Here's your host, child therapist, Natasha Daniels. Well, hello there, and welcome to another episode of the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. Today, I want to talk about something that everybody wants to know, especially if you're having some struggles, and that's you know, how do you get your kids with anxiety or OCD to move towards their fears? You might be feeling like you are you know, trying to swim upstream with your child, or you may be feeling like you don't know what next steps to take or how to even start doing that. So a lot of us are all over the place as far as what is causing that maybe lack of motion and progress. And so I want to go into how to get even maybe the, even the most resistant kid to start moving towards their fears, see what things we're doing that can maybe hold back that issue and some things to try to get the ball rolling. Cause that's really the end result is we always want to get the ball rolling and maybe even talk about why we want to move them towards their fears to begin with, because some of you might be new listeners and new to this whole world and maybe thinking, well, why do I even have to get them to move towards their fears? Isn't that kind of counterintuitive? And we'll talk a little bit about that as well. But before we get started, I do want to thank NoCD for sponsoring this episode. NoCD offers affordable, effective, convenient therapy. They're available in the U.S. and outside of the U.S. And you can schedule your free 15-minute consultation to see if NoCD is a right fit for you and your child. Go to treatmyocd.com. That is treatmyocd.com. I've been giving out their website a lot lately in my AT Parenting Community Forums because a lot of parents are struggling to find OCD therapists and not just in the U.S. I've been giving it to a lot of UK parents to, to reach out to them. So check them out. Okay. Let's talk about how to get our kids moving. Now, if your child is at the point where they are completely resistant, they don't want you to talk about anxiety or OCD. They don't want you to mention it. I do have a whole other episode on that, which would be a deeper dive. And so that's episode 201, how to motivate our kids to work on anxiety or OCD. And I would definitely check out that. I actually have episode 92, how to help kids with OCD or anxiety who aren't motivated to help themselves. Episode 65, motivating kids to crush anxiety or OCD when they have no fight in them. I guess I've done this quite a few times (laughs) when I'm actually what I'm doing when I tell you these things is I'm going to my website, atparentingsurvival.com, and I'm going to the search button and I'm searching motivation and I'm looking at what I've done so far because I know I've talked about it a lot. And it's funny because this is episode 285. And so I've done so many episodes and I feel like I've covered all the basics of all the different types of anxiety themes, OCD themes. And if there is any that you feel like I've missed, let me know. But I feel like I've covered all the basics. And so it's funny that I've done that topic so many times. I don't even realize, (laughs) but we'll do it again in a different sort of way. I'm sure they're different every time. So what I'm going to be talking about today is a child who's not completely resistant. And sometimes we might think that they're completely resistant, but we're not finding that little string that we can pull. And we want to pull that little string until we can get some more traction. We can pull further and deeper and get more traction. And that's really the ultimate goal. So the first step is always, it's always, always, always education. Now, if you can't even get there, listen to some of those other podcast episodes because then you have to work on communication and trust and a whole bunch of other things. But a lot of the parents I work with are in a place where they can talk about it, but it's just getting them to do some of the things that can be really tricky. And that's really what this episode is about. And so we often miss the step of education and that's really important. And so I want to teach my kids, and this is what I teach my kids. I'll say, you know, if we avoid, when we're talking about anxiety, if we avoid doing that, it will grow bigger over time. Or if I keep doing that for you, it's going to grow bigger over time because I want them to understand my actions and I want to understand, I want them to understand their actions. I want them to understand that this short-term solution of avoidance when it comes to anxiety is going to put them in a loop 
that will perpetuate avoidance, which will grow anxiety, which will perpetuate avoidance, which will grow anxiety. And then you can live a life of avoidance. I know many people who are adults who avoid so many things and have so many rules about what they can do and what they can't do and where they can go and where they can't go, what they feel like they're capable of doing versus what they're not capable of doing. And it's all based on their fears and their anxiety. These like long list of rules that that contain them. I had my own long list for a very long time. In fact, up until my husband died last year, well, it's actually almost two years at this point. Can you believe that? There were so many rules that I didn't even know were rules, you know, that I was like, he drove all the time. And so I didn't drive. And because he drove all the time, even though I have been driving since I was 16, when I met him, he kind of took over driving, not by, not by my choice. It's just, he was like really good at knowing navigation and I apparently am not. (laughs) And I would always go in directions and he'd be like, why are you going this way? And so eventually I was like, you know what? How about you just always drive? And It was out of maybe just convenience and maybe a little frustration. But after 12 years, I was like nervous to drive to places that I hadn't been to. I was nervous to drive to California by myself with the kids. I was nervous to drive in busy areas like our shopping center that's really congested. And it wasn't because I couldn't do it. It was because I hadn't done it in 12 years because I was used to being like chauffeured around. Well, chauffeured sounds like that was a preference, but it wasn't. And that's how our kids get when they avoid. And so it's one thing for us to understand that, but then we have to get our kids to understand that on some level. And a lot of times with my kids, I will use prior examples. And and I've used this example before with you guys, so you probably have heard it before. But over this past summer, my daughter, she wasn't able to go to sleepaway camp. It was short notice. It was like part of like a, a grief benefit. And so there was not a lot of planning. And I guess I was like naive in like, wasn't on my radar that that actually might be a problem because she doesn't have separation anxiety. I don't know. It was kind of like, I don't know why I was blindsided, but she wound up not going because her anxiety just overwhelmed her to the point where we don't want to push our kids over a cliff. If we push them over a cliff, we can actually, you know, wind up perpetuating anxiety or OCD. We want to push them off a small ledge. <laughs> and I don't want to push them at all, actually. I want them to learn that they can jump off a small ledge and they're going to land on their feet. Or they can jump off a bigger ledge and they can soar and and fly down, you know, whatever analogy you want. But I I don't want to be the one pushing them off a cliff. That's not that's not going to be helpful. And so there are times where things are too far gone. And we have to understand that when we're talking about getting our kids to move towards anxiety, discomfort or towards OCD, towards their fears or discomfort, because it's not always necessarily fear-based. It could be a a fear of a feeling, if that makes sense. So if I have OCD, I might be overwhelmed with the fear of being overly disgusted or overly uncomfortable or feeling that things aren't just right, whatever that is. It's still a fear in the sense that I'm afraid that I won't be able to handle the feeling. So we're talking about anything around anxiety or OCD. And we want to teach our kids that they want to make small steps towards that discomfort and towards those things that make them fearful so that they can show that they can do hard things regardless of what their brain is telling them they're not able to do or that they won't be able to handle. And so we have to let them understand that educationally. So that was too far gone, her going to sleepaway camp. And then we had band camp like a month later, which... And I've told, if you listen to the podcast, I've told this story before, but it was like two hours a day, not sleep away, right around the block, not far. And her anxiety was just like, nope, can't do it because she had already avoided something else. So for me to use that as an example and say, you know, when you avoid, then your O cloud, that's what we call her anxiety and her OCD, your O cloud grows bigger. And because it had a little win, which isn't your fault. That was just too big of a mountain to climb. But because it had a win a month ago, now your cloud's like, I'm starving. I want another meal. Like that worked for us before. Let's do it again. We don't like these uncomfortable feelings. Let's just avoid. And I'll say to her, do you notice how now it's even louder? Now it's even more powerful. That's not your fault because right? we don't want to have them feel guilty or we don't want to have a blaming conversation. And so I, I, sprinkle a lot of my conversations with my kids with it's not your fault or that you know I we get that I understand why it was like that you know some validation there 
But now we can see that this is now a bigger problem. So the more we avoid, the bigger it grows. So try to find something in your kid's life when you're using these as examples so that they can connect the dots on a very concrete level. Oh, you know, or the more you don't touch things, you notice the more things turn contaminated or the more you wash, the more you have to wash. We want our kids to see that the more they avoid with anxiety or give into their compulsions with OCD and avoidance can be a compulsion with OCD as well, the bigger the anxiety or OCD grows. So the first part is education. We really want the education piece. And I feel like sometimes we don't nail that down before we move on to the next thing. So pace yourself. It's a marathon, not a sprint. And ask yourself, where am I at with this? Am I still in the education mode? Do I need to go back to education? Do my kids seem like they don't understand why we're doing this or why I'm asking them to move towards their fears? When we don't allow our kids to experience fears and we don't encourage them to move towards their discomfort and their fears, they live a cocooned life that one, doesn't teach them resiliency, two, gets more and more cocooned. And cocooned sounds like almost like too nice of a word. I would say isolated and uh, phobic, avoidant and small. It like makes their world smaller because there's only so much they can do. And so that's why, even though it's out of a lot of parents' comfort zones, it is so important for us who are raising kids with anxiety or OCD to lovingly and compassionately encourage them and teach them and coach them to move towards their fears. And we want them to understand why we're doing that as well. I want them to know the backstory, you know, like what's the backstory on this? There is some really good science on this and teaching them that science is helpful too. That's actually why I started with my new class. I have a new class crushing OCD class for kids and teens that just came out a couple of weeks ago. And one of the very first lessons is talking about the science of how they're growing the neural pathways. And I talk about it in a, a fun, well, I don't know if you call it fun, but engaging, entertaining sort of way. I use metaphors and ways that they can see that the neural pathways are growing. I want them to understand the science behind that. I want them to understand that when they do compulsions or they avoid as a compulsion or they mentally argue in their head as a compulsion, that they are growing neural pathways. And I want them to have a visual on that. That can be very motivating and helpful, not even just for the kids that are like science-based, but for any kid. It tends to be very effective with kids who are more on the spectrum or kids who are more black and white thinkers or who want the science background of you know, yes, we're personifying anxiety or OCD and we're calling it names like, you know, O'Cloud or Bob or Gus or whatever, but there is something, you know, physiologically happening in the brain that is growing bigger based on your behavior or growing smaller based on your behavior. And that's something that's really important for them to know in a helpful sort of way, not a scary sort of way. And so that's the first step is the education piece. And then we want to move on to find the smallest entry point that we can do. And so if you are, now some kids are ready to just really, they're ready to like parasail off that cliff. And that's awesome. They just want to know how. And I've had kids in my practice who who are ready to go, maybe even more so than the parents are wanting them to because the parents are anxious and are nervous about it and don't want to rock the boat. I've had kids who are like, throw it at me, Natasha. Like, what is it? What do I need to do? Cause I want to get better and I want to get better fast. And so those kids normally they're ready to go and they might want to take some pretty big steps towards their fears and they just don't know how, but a lot of other kids don't want to. And it depends on what their fear is or what their anxiety or OCD theme is. And I've said this before, I feel like kids who have separation anxiety are in general less motivated because the avoidance and just the status quo feels good. So those were not impossible, but I know I didn't have those kids on board with me. Normally I had to work with the parents and the parents had to use kind of like a space approach, which is more of a parent only accommodation approach from Ellie Leibowitz, where they pulled back their accommodations and the child learned how to adapt and move towards their fears because they had to. But in a perfect world outside of that, we really want to help our kids realize that this is their own journey and that they need to make the steps that's important to move towards their discomfort. And so sometimes they might think that that is 
That is like a huge step. So they might think that means I have to touch the thing that's contaminated or say the word that's scary or see someone throw up, or I'm trying to think of like a million different themes, you know, not make that even or not reread that thing or whatever it is. And our job is to find the smallest little thing that they can do. That's barely a challenge and they may not see the gray. And so get creative, you know, become an out of the box thinker and find that small, small little window. And I'll give you, let me try to give you some concrete examples. When my youngest was a toddler, she was already anxious. She was very anxious around the but the toilet, like bathrooms have been her theme from the get-go. And it started with a lot of kids with anxiety have constipation, stomach issues. And a lot of times, one of the first early warning signs is constipation as a toddler. Not that every kid with constipation as a toddler is going to have anxiety, but a lot of kids with anxiety will have had a history of constipation, right? So it goes the other way, but not, doesn't go both ways always. And she had really painful poops. And, you know, there's a physiological reason for that because when you're stressed, you can slow down the whole process. You wind up getting bogged up and then you wind up having constipation and then it hurts when you poop and then it creates another loop, you know, ouch, I didn't like that experience. I want to avoid it. So I'm going to withhold my poop and on it goes. It's this vicious, anxious loop, right? That happens with anxiety and OCD. And so she would want me to go and sit and hold her hand on the toilet as she pooped. And that's where we were at. We were at me on a stool in a very small bathroom in our house, holding her hand as she was trying to poop. That became a thing that even when she wasn't constipated, she needed, if she had to go to the bathroom at all, she'd have to have me go in there, hold her hand and sit there. And you would think, well, you know, what's the big deal? You know, if that's what she needs, that's what she needs. Well, it was a big deal because I wanted to foster with her empowerment I wanted to instill in her, even at that young age, that she didn't need me to be okay, that she could have me to be okay. It's not like we're throwing our kids in the deep end, but that she could do it herself. And I also saw a lot of other signs of anxiety and I didn't see OCD when she was little, but I knew like genetically she was pretty doomed like the rest of us. And so regardless of whether my kids were going to have an anxiety or OCD diagnosis, I was going to teach them resiliency. I was going to teach them self-efficacy and to believe in themselves and the power of themselves from a very young age. And so, you know, we talked about her worry cloud. It actually started off with worry cloud, you know, that because she'd walk around going, I know poop, I know poop. She like she was so anxious about pooping. She also had social anxiety. She had a lot of things going on. So, and so I knew there was definitely like some clinical anxiety there, but you know, we talked about it was her worry cloud, your worry clouds making you anxious, making you worried to go poops. And so at first I'd say, I'm not going to hold your hand, but I'm going to stand right in here with you. And so instead of sitting on the, on the stool and holding your hand, I stood in the, in the bathroom. So that's a small step. You know, I was just sitting there in the bathroom and then eventually I was in the door frame, just like sleeping. Right. And then eventually I was in the hall, but she could still see me. And so we inched our way out. We did the same thing with sleep a couple of times because, you know, kids go through different transitions. And so that was the entry point was, I will stand here with you. And even if she cried and I want to hold your hand, I said, I will stand here with you. If you keep crying, I'm going to move out, but I will stand here with you. I'm right here. I'm not going to hold your hand, but I'm right here. And that was building her empowerment. And now she's, you know, tough little cookie. You know, she, it doesn't mean that I'm not there to support her. But it also means that she's not dependent on me to support her. She knows that she can also support herself. And that's really important. It's not that we are removing ourselves, but it's also we're building the belief in themselves. So there's a difference in that, right? I didn't mean this to be all about our involvement. I was actually going to talk about that after the break, but went on the tangent and it seemed to be like a good thing to talk about. But even if you're not involved, and I do, we're going to talk about your involvement a little bit more in depth after the break. But when our kids are thinking it is either I use the whole roll of toilet paper or I don't use enough, or I take a five hour shower, or, you know, I don't shower at all, or I touch this thing that is contaminated or I don't touch it, it's for us to introduce another option and say, you know, you take a three hour shower. How about? you know, we take, you take a two hour and 55 minute shower. 
you know, five minutes or you use this much soap. How about we just take an inch of that soap away or you use a whole roll of toilet paper? How about you use, you know, leave like five sheets on it. Now you might say, well, I don't think that's much of an improvement, Natasha. <laughs> you know, like a two hour and 55 minute shower is still not okay. That is true. And a whole roll of toilet paper minus like five sheets, still not okay. And I'm using those examples because those are examples that I hear in my AT Parenting Community membership. Like kids are, you know, they're they're taking these long showers. They are using whole rolls of toilet paper. It's bad. And you might have a child who's doing that and is not willing to do anything different. And so if you just say, can you take a two hour, 55 minute shower and we'll set a timer or whatever, but if you can get out earlier, that's great. But that, you know, that's your limit. It is empowering because it's a small step and, and that will look different for each one of you. I'm giving you extreme examples to prove my point or to make my point that there's an entry point for everything. And so find the thing that is ridiculously small and then you present that to your child. Now, again, there are kids who are ready to, you know, scale that wall and, you know, parasail off the cliff. And so that's not for them. You can say to them, where do you want to start? You know, let's talk about a challenge you can do or an exposure you can do. And that will be different for them. But I'm talking about the kids that you're not, you're not able to motivate your child because they think everything is just way too scary. So first is the buy-in with the education, right? They have to understand how they're actually harming themselves by keeping this avoidance and compulsions up. And then it's convincing them that this small little entry point is going to really make a big difference in the end. Um, And then when we get back from the break, I'm going to talk about how to add the hook to get them to do that smallest little thing. Because without the hook, sometimes you're still not going to have any traction. All right, we'll talk about that after the break. It's time we put help directly in our kids' hands. Introducing Crushing OCD Course for Kids and Teens. It was way more helpful than all the other therapy we've ever done because we didn't really know what to do, so we weren't really doing it before. So the course helped to figure out what the exposures are and how to do them. We're not in therapy and find it really hard um, to find an ERP-trained therapist here. Um, So we're currently with like the public health service, but again, they don't seem to be trained in ERP. It's filled that gap that we don't have that was desperately needed. This was really well timed for us to use between therapists and to help us like start, get off to a good start with this new practice. It was easy to use. Um, I was able to do it from my phone or also on the computer. There's different ages, you know, so there were younger kids, there were teenagers. And um, so that was really nice too, to have a variety of ages where it wasn't just geared towards younger kids or older kids. It was a nice variety. It's helpful for our kids to hear it from this like third party as opposed to just us saying it. I really like the offense and defense method. I love working on poking at OCD while it's sleeping. It makes it a little bit easier to do and it's kind of fun. (laughs) I'm planning on using it to work on my uh, fear of like holding or touching batteries and stuff like that. So it was really helpful and I think a lot of other kids would like it. I thought that I was like the only one who had worrying about the weather and stuff. And then there was somebody else on there who worried about the same thing, which was really helpful. Seems less scary to work on stuff now that I've watched this class and I'm more interested to work on it. I like trying to do more exposures still and going to, before I wasn't, I just didn't want to do them. I've worked on some of my bigger compulsions and been successful. I realized it was helpful to do like the exposures before it was like really, really hard. It's still hard, but it's helpful to know that I need to do them. Before there would be a lot of battles about it. So it is definitely less loggerheads. Really, really good course and super helpful. Definitely would recommend this. It's really easy to follow. It's nice bite-sized videos. I really like the worksheets that go along with it, and I think it's really helpful. To learn more about this course and register your child or teen, go to atparentingsurvivalschool.com. All right, welcome back. So we're talking about the hook before we left that, you know, sometimes even with a smallest little step, we need a hook to get our kids in. And there may not be a lot of 
motivation for a child, even if they educationally, like intellectually get that they are growing their anxiety or OCD by avoiding or doing the compulsions. And maybe you've presented the smallest entry point, which would be the tiniest little thing. Some more examples, because I'm sure there's a zillion of them out there and I'm not going to hit your topic, but like when my daughter had to pee, she had sensory motor OCD and had to pee like nonstop and was going to the bathroom, maybe literally 50 times an hour, not good for her bladder. And I would say, could you wait two minutes before you have to pee again? And even though she was probably only going, you know, maybe every five minutes, because I was putting a spotlight on it and saying, can you not go for two minutes? OCD will get louder because it's like, wait, I can't do it. Now I feel like I have to do it more. So you start even with less time. And then we built upwards to the point where we got to three hours and four hours. Then I was like, five hours is too long. Like you need to pee at that point. We actually got to the point where I had to tell her that's too long. And, and so, but we started with like five minutes. Can you go two minutes? I think we started with five minutes though and built up from there. But I was going to give you some more examples. If you have a child who won't eat something or something is gross or a dot on their food and they won't eat it, then can they leave it on their plate where they have to stare at it while they eat the other food? Can they take their finger and touch it and then touch their finger? Can they lick it? Like, where is the entry point in there? And you might have to like come up with suggestions and find the entry point. Could you leave it on your plate? Yeah. Okay. That's amazing. Then just leave it on your plate. That's a win. Our kids need to feel like it's a win. They need to feel success. And even if we have to package it up and present it to them like a gift, that's what we have to do. I mean, there have been times where I did not feel like it was a win, to be honest, but I packaged it up like a win so that my kids could feel success. And it's kind of like not to minimize the struggle with anxiety or OCD, but like when I was teaching my kids to tie their shoes, I would tie it almost completely. And then, you know, they just have to pull that one lace and to tighten it and to make that perfect little like butterfly. And I would say, just pull right here. And they'd pull and they would have this huge smile. And I'd say, oh my gosh, you just tied your shoes. They didn't. I tied them. And then they just pulled that one little piece, right? The ending part. But then over time, then they did, you know, the last two steps, then the, the last three steps, right? It's just basic teaching, hand over hand teaching. And really the same thing can happen with exposures or, you know, challenges is getting our kids to do one small little step. And then that feeling of accomplishment and that feeling like I did something today that was good for crushing my anxiety or OCD can feel really, really good. And so that's why in my AT parenting community, when we have, we have our monthly support group calls for the teens and for the kids, we have two separate calls. And we start the first full half hour. Actually, we do this with the parents too. The first full half hour are just about wins. The smallest win. I'll say, find the smallest win. Think back in your head and think of the smallest win and share it with us or a big win. And because there's a lot of kids in there that might think they don't have a win to share. And then all of a sudden they'll say, you know what? I touched a doorknob and I didn't wash my hands. And normally I do, or I waited two minutes and we'll all celebrate that because the perception of success is as important as success itself. If I feel empowered, like, have you ever, <laughs> this is so stupid, but like, have you ever like, like for me, I'm trying to do 20 minutes of yoga a day and I'm trying to do 20 minutes on the elliptical a day. It's not happening. And then I start beating myself up about it. Cause like, I'd be like, I didn't do the elliptical, but I did the yoga or it's normally not the other way. Cause I, I think I enjoyed the yoga more than the elliptical. Cause I wind up doing that a lot more than the elliptical, but that's not my point. My point is when I do the yoga, I feel so good. I feel like I just accomplished something good for my body. Like I made time to do the thing that I know is good for my body and it felt good. And I feel like I accomplished something, even though it was just like one little thing. Or have you ever like just had a healthy day where you ate something and you felt like I really watched what I ate and I felt healthier today. Or you did one thing off of your to-do list and you feel like, yes, I did something. Or you clean one little area of your house and you feel like, ah, oh, I did it. It's the same feeling of accomplishment that we want to instill in our kids with anxiety or OCD because it can feel like cement blocks. It can feel like they're not going to make progress. They're not going to move. And us as parents can inadvertently 
reinforce that by shooting down their wins. And I've seen this in my practice. I've seen it actually in my community when I hear parents talking or asking me questions. I can tell that they're not celebrating with their kids because of the way they're asking their questions. And so when you say things like, oh yeah, well, she can do that. But then, you know, the next hour after therapy, she's doing all of her compulsions. And so what good is it? It's like, but she was really brave and she did something really hard during that period of time. It's not going to be maintained 24-7, right? So it's like celebrating the, the steps that it takes to do big, hard things. We need to do that and that can help. But separate from all of that, it will be really helpful to have some concrete incentives and that can be a game changer. If your child is primed and ready to go, if they're not, if incentives are not motivating, it may be because your child is not ready yet for any of this stuff. And so there's nothing that can move the dial. And so you have to go back to communication and trust and then education before you move into trying to get them to move towards their fears. It can be sometimes that OCD is very clever and it will make the incentives contaminated or it'll make the incentives bad. Like you can't play with that thing because you earned it through OCD. And so that means, you know, it's either contaminated or you're a bad person for needing to earn stuff, or it could be, you have to make a decision about what you want to earn and they can have a hard time making choices. And so it becomes a stress in and of itself. So there's all reasons why incentives can sometimes not work. So you want to figure that out. But for the most part, It's very, very effective. And if you do have a kid who has those issues that we just talked about, I mean, this episode isn't about incentives, but I'll just throw this in there. And you can move to privileges because then there's not a concrete object that is like off limits or that they can't touch. And sometimes kids are like, nope, I don't want to earn anything. You know, I don't want any gifts. I don't want any prizes or whatever. And and then it's like, well, do you want extra game time or do you want, you know, this privilege of going here or there? Something that's not punitive, something that is a little bit extra, but in my house, a lot of things that maybe would be seen, like a lot of things are extra in my mind. Like I have them do exposures for a lot of stuff that maybe other parents would just give their kids, but any opportunity to say, yeah, you can have that, but you, you'd have to do an exposure for it is better. Like when my son, he's like, can I get on VR 30 minutes earlier? And I'm like, I mean, he's just spoon feeding me an incentive, you know, it's like, you can shift your brain that way. So when your kids are are bringing you, spoon feeding you incentive ideas, take them, utilize them. Everything that is not a need can be an incentive. It's a want. And so maybe I don't want him on the VR an extra half hour, but I would love for him to do an exposure. And so to me, it's worth it. And so I'll say, well, yeah, you can go on, but you have to eat something first, you know, and And because I'm trying to get him to eat because I realized he's lost all this weight and that's a nightmare. So find your incentives. Uh, I don't want this to be all about incentives, but I do want to talk about some of the pitfalls with incentives that I've seen parents do. One, they give their kids everything under the sun. And so there is no extra. That's a problem. Two, they will offer incentives that are too big. And so it's like, yeah, you can earn this phone if you do like exposure for the next five zillion years. Incentives ideally should be within a 24 hour period. And if it's not, it has to be something that they're really willing to work on every day. You don't want it to be so big that they start to feel hopeless because the theme of the hour apparently is the mindset of what we're trying to set for our kids. We're trying to set a hopeful mindset. I've had kids in my practice who were like really acute. Their OCD was not good. They were, they was pretty severe OCD, but if I could cheerlead them and they come in every week and I tell them how amazing they're doing and they took some brave steps and just being in the office is a brave step and every step they're taking is brave and get them to feel that satisfaction of progress. And even when OCD starts to try to come back in different ways or anxiety tries to come back in different ways to let them up, yep, that's normal. That's part of the process to give them that understanding that sometimes it gets worse before it gets better. That mindset is so key in long-term success. And we have a big part to play in that. Are we negative? Are we a Debbie Downer? Are we not motivating enough? Are we offering only very big steps for our kids to do? Are we putting our kids in situations that are too overwhelming for them? Or are we presenting small successes, small steps that can lead to 
big successes that can lead to a feeling of empowerment. And so incentives can be really helpful with that, but you can't take away incentives. And if someone even attempts something, it's good to reward them for the attempt. You know, that was so brave of you to try that. And I know that you really, I could tell that you really were working on it and you did, you were able to delay it two minutes, not five minutes, but I saw that you really were trying and you can, you can have that bravery point because of that. Like, don't be so tight with your incentives. <laughs> so I like to call them bravery points, but when they're older, you know, you might just be like, you're going to earn a Starbucks or you're earning, you know, some gas money or whatever it is. There's always a currency for every kid that I've ever worked with. You just have to find it. And again, if you're not being able to find it, it could be because of those other reasons that I talked about. Some kids are not ready yet and some kids feel like they don't deserve it. Some kids wrap it up with their OCD and it becomes kind of an OCD issue. The next thing I want to mention, there's two more things I just want to talk about really quick, is we want to model moving towards our fears, model moving towards our discomfort. And so it's so helpful when we don't make it all about anxiety or OCD. Like in my family, we talk about doing hard things. We talk about walking towards our fears, sitting with our discomfort. Like my kids bring it up in all sorts of different ways. We've talked about how, and I'll hear them even say it like they identify themselves. I'm trying to think, my daughter just said something the other day. She said something like, Well, I can handle discomfort, so it doesn't bother me. And she wasn't talking about her anxiety or OCD. And I said to her, I don't even remember what she was talking about. Something completely unrelated. I have no idea. I don't remember. I have no memory anymore. But I said to her, Do you know why you were able to handle that discomfort? And she goes, Because I just, I can handle stuff like that. And I said, no, but do you know why? And she said, I don't know. It's just who I am. And I said, no, it's because you've worked on your anxiety or OCD. And she kind of gave me that look like, what? And I said, when you work on your anxiety or OCD, you're learning how to sit with discomfort. You're learning how to not do things that would make you feel better and learn how to sit with the uncomfortable feeling that it brings. And that improves your ability to handle a lot of discomfort in any situation. And so connecting those dots for them is really helpful. And then sharing your own stuff, whether you have anxiety or OCD or not, you're a human being, right? A lot of what we talk about with anxiety or OCD is resilience. It's doing hard things. It's doing brave things. It's doing things that are scary or uncomfortable, but doing them anyway. And don't we all go through that? Don't we all do things like that? Aren't there things that we can always share with our kids and not to like devalue or demean their disorder if you don't have one, but again, it goes into your tone or your semantics. So it's not like, well, you know, I did a really hard thing. I sat in a very boring meeting all day and I didn't want to do it. I didn't, I wanted to get up and go, but I had to sit there. Now you can sit here and, you know, not wash your hands. That would not be very helpful. (laughs) But if you say something like, I know it can be really scary. You know, I had to go and do a presentation at work and I was really nervous and like, you know, I felt all clammy and I felt worried that maybe my boss isn't going to like it. And I thought, well, maybe I can make an excuse and, and delay it and say, maybe I'm not prepared. I'll have to do it next week. But I said, you know what? I have to do this sometimes. So just avoiding it isn't going to help. It's just going to make me more nervous the following week. So I got up there and I did it. And you know what? You know, my legs were shaking and I was feeling really uncomfortable, but halfway through, I saw people were interested and I was like, just glad I did it. And that's a great example. And one of the messages that we don't, that we want to convey to our kids and we want to be careful with is just because we do scary, fearful, or uncomfortable things doesn't mean that one, we like it. And it doesn't mean that two, we're not nervous or anxious about it. And so it's doing things anyway even when it feels uncomfortable. And the way I explain that to kids is it's like going to the anxiety or OCD gym. You know, lifting weights doesn't feel good in the moment, but it builds your muscles. And doing hard things or anxiety-producing things or things that trigger your OCD don't feel good in the moment, but it builds your muscle. And so the end result, the end goal, and something to convey to our kids is not to get rid of the anxious feeling per se, or to get rid of the intrusive thought or the intrusive feeling, it's to get rid of the discomfort or the avoidance that comes with it. So like when I am doing, when I have to, like if I had to go to a party, I would still have 
all the anxious feelings that would come up from my social anxiety disorder, very, very disordered social anxiety. It would all be there. Even though I've done so much work for the last, I would say, decade now, I've been really working on it hard from 40 to 50, all those feelings would still come up. And I think in the past, I would beat myself up about it. I'd say, oh my gosh, I thought you progressed. And now you're feeling all these other things. You're supposed to be able to go to a party and feel great about it. And I've learned from my own experience that that's really not the goal. And we want to convey that to our kids too. Um, This is what I say to my kids. You know, It's okay if your stomach hurts and you feel nervous before this thing that we're about to do. Because we know that O-Cloud's going to show up and make you feel anxious, right? We can't control what physiologically happens to our body. But we also know that you do brave things and that you've done brave things before and you've done this thing before. And what do you need to tell yourself? That I can get through it, right? Not that I'm going to love it or that it's going to go smoothly, but I can get through it. And so I've had to be self-compassionate with myself and model that for my kids and say things like, I hate going to parties. This is going to be, sometimes I'll tell my kids like, this is going to be like complete torture for me, (laughs) but I'm going to go do it. Right. I can't remember what we were doing recently. Uh, Maybe it was the OCD conference. (laughs) I mean, I love the OCD community, but the OCD conference is to be honest, complete torture for me. It's like, it's a social anxiety, bad nightmare. You know, it's a true bad dream for me. It's an amazing conference. So please don't get me wrong. And my kids love it. And it's really well done. And it's great. And there's so much education there. But it is really hard for my social anxiety. And I think, you know, initially I beat myself up about that. Like, you're supposed to be over this. But no, you know, all those physical signs are going to still show up. I wind up getting really sick every time I go to a conference because the stress is so bad on my body. But this time I had had COVID and then I went and it was like a month later and I was like still completely fatigued and still had a cough a little bit. And I, and I was just like, so I was so fatigued for like the month after that. And my stomach was messed up. I mean, we don't have to go into this, but my whole point is we still do it, you know, and I know I can do it again and I can do it again. Like I'm not going to avoid doing it. And that's really what we want to convey to our kids too, is that those physiological symptoms might still show up or that, that itch, you know, to do that compulsion might show up or that intrusive thought might show up, but it's still walking towards the things that we need to do in life or towards the things that we enjoy in life. Like I value a community and I value showing up and being part of that community. And that value kind of going on a little act tangent right now is more important to me than giving into my anxiety. So modeling can be really important. And the last thing I want to mention before we wrap up today is our job in pulling back. And so how quickly do we swoop in and rob our kids of the opportunity to move towards their fears or discomfort because we don't want them to have the discomfort or the fear. And so we, we don't even give that pause to let them experience that maybe organically or naturally. And I'll give you an example of this. For some reason, my son is starting, well, he's always kind of stammered a little bit, but not bad. You know, he just gets stuck on his words. I think like his brain is going faster than his lips are going. And, but I think it's become almost like he's overthinking it. So it's become like a thing and he has social anxiety and OCD. And so he hasn't been, he's like struggling talking sometimes and it's a new thing. And so we went to Meow Wolf. For those of you that don't know what Meow Wolf is, you should Google it. It's a very cool place. It's kind of like an art experiential experience. (laughs) Is that redundant? You know, so it's like there are different themes. And so like it's a building that you walk through and it's super cool. Anyway, there's one in Denver. There's one in Vegas. There is one in New Mexico. That was the original one. And they just told me that they are building two more in Texas, which is super cool. One in Houston and one in like the Dallas Fort Worth area. And so we went to the one in Denver when we were there for the OCD conference. And then I was like, wouldn't it be cool if we like go to all of them? And here's another example. I had, I had said in my head when my husband died, I guess I'll never be able to go to Vegas again because there's no way I'm taking kids alone to Vegas. Like that seems really scary to me. Vegas seems scary to me even when I'd go with my husband. 
and he was a federal agent and he was armed when he would walk us through the streets. But I just felt like it wasn't a place I wanted to be with kids, even with him there. And so we would sometimes do it just because we live in Phoenix. It would be a really cool like spring break thing to just go there for like a couple of nights and watch some of the shows and then tuck, you know, get us tucked into a hotel by like 7 p.m. So we weren't out in the Vegas craziness. And we saw like some really good shows there, like Circus Soleil and Blue Man's Group, like some really cool shows. But when he died, that was another one of my rules was, oh, I'll never be able to go to Vegas again. There's no way I'll ever go without him. And Meow Wolf is in Vegas and in New Mexico. And so I looked it up and I was like, it's only four and a half hours away from where we are. That's not that bad. And it's not on the strip. It's actually right before the strip. And so even though I was uncomfortable, you know, I modeled and I even told my kids, I'm just going back to the modeling thing really quick. And then I'll go back to the, the speech thing. I go on tangents and I'm sorry, but I like to tell stories. I told them, I said, you know, when dad died, I said, I would never go to Vegas because I never thought I could drive here by myself. It felt too scary. And we even did have like an air tire pressure issue, which really freaked me out because it was like the sun was going down and then we were headed over, actually leaving Meow Wolf. And I was like, oh my gosh, the tires need air. But I had bought this little contraption that like you can actually charge it. And then I don't know how this small little box can actually produce so much air, (laughs) but I love technology. And so, you know, in the hotel parking lot, I like pumped up our tires and I felt really accomplished. And I was saying to my kids, I said, you see, like that would have really freaked me out, but I planned and I had this little contraption thing. Like I bought it as soon as my husband died. Cause I was like, I need to have all sorts of things that can save me if something happens. And one of them was like, what if like I need air in my tires and I can't find a gas station? Like all the what ifs of my anxiety disorder, like were coming out, like, what if this happens? And I had to get a car that had like an OnStar kind of thing in case like I'm in the desert. And I, anyway, it was a great thing to model, to show my kids, like we can do this. So we were at Meow for my son's birthday. We just got back a few hours ago, actually. And he was trying to order some ice cream and he was like stammering. I make him order his own food even though I think it would very be a very easy thing for me to order for him because it makes him anxious and he speaks really quietly and he'll kind of say like, you can tell them or you go, or he'll say, he'll mumble it to the point where it almost seems like I need to interject. And so my daughter ordered her ice cream. I ordered my ice cream and then I looked at him and I said, what do you want? And so he, he told me and I said, tell her. And then he started to like, I've never seen this happen to him before. He was like, I, 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 and he couldn't, And he's like, I can't, I can't. And he couldn't, he couldn't speak, which is really kind of scaring me to be honest. And I let it go on for quite a while because I didn't want to swoop in and rescue him and develop this pattern. And then I, then I ordered for him, but I gave it some space for him to almost like recoup. And then he didn't. And so then I came in, it's like knowing it's almost, and I say this a lot, I think with a lot of stuff, but it's like, it's like double Dutch, right? It's like, it's like knowing when you need to come in. I mean, I think I use the double Dutch analogy for like knowing a good time to talk to your kids, but this was the kind of similar. It's like, I want him to have a space to, to recoup and like be able to, to speak, but I don't want it to go on to the point where it's like paralyzing and traumatizing. And I like teetered. I think I went a little bit too far and then I ordered for him. And then he started to be like, I can't, I can't, mom, I don't know what happened. I just, I can't even, I can't order it. And I'm like, it's fine. It's fine. It's no big deal. It's fine. But then this morning we went out for breakfast before we left Vegas and I looked at him to order and he kind of looked at me and I said, tell her what you want. And he ordered it. You know, like I wasn't going to move into that place of cocooning. I'm not going to, you know, throw him in the deep end, but I'm not going to cocoon him. And so We have to look at where we can pull back. And there are times where like, it takes every ounce of my soul to not jump in and rescue them or do something for them ahead of time or avoid something because I want to give them an opportunity to move towards their fears. And sometimes we rob them of those opportunities. And so you want to look at yourself and say, what small things do I maybe swoop in and take care of or rescue too soon? 
right? It doesn't mean that we let it go on, right? Like once I realized he's not going to be able to do it and he's really struggling, then I moved in. But I think there's a, there could be an inclination for me to then just always order for him. So he never has to experience that again. And then he would never learn how to overcome it. And even though it hurts my heart to see him struggling, I also know that it would hurt my heart more if he was 30 and couldn't speak to strangers because he developed this habit and this loop of always avoiding talking to people because he's afraid he might stammer. I don't want that. And so replace my story with any other behavior or struggle that your kids are having so that it makes more sense for you. But it's it's all the same thing, right? It's like when we swoop in too soon, we're almost inadvertently conveying that we don't believe in our kids or their ability to do things or to pull through or do hard stuff. And we want to give them that opportunity. And that's hard. I mean, that's hard for anxious parents. It's hard for any parent. But I mean, when you have anxiety yourself, for me, I have social anxiety. So to sit there and have that silence or that struggle is really, really hard. But I know that long-term, it's the best thing to do. So I hope that you guys found this helpful. If you are finding my podcast in general helpful, don't forget to hit a star and rate it or leave a review. I greatly appreciate that. If you have a few extra minutes, don't forget to write a review. I really appreciate that. I don't think I have any new ones. So I was just looking for, but if I do, I will read that review because I always like to give a shout out to those that take the time to write a review. So I appreciate that. I hope that you find the sparkle in everything you do. And I will be back here next Tuesday. Talk to you some more. Take care. Thank you for listening to the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. To get additional support raising a child with anxiety or OCD, visit Natasha's online school of on-demand classes at atparentingsurvivalschool.com. 